G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you on another Wednesday, a hump day edition of the Sports Be Pod, joined by the great man J-Lo once again. Plenty of footy stuff to unpack from the weekend that was round 12. We do a little bit of a uh, lap around the WA teams, talking about the Coasters and the Dockers, who are definitely trending in opposite directions. We then touch on the Bulldogs and their premiership credentials. I tipped them to win the flag in the preseason, and I'm not feeling too great about that pick through half the season. Fantasy footy is obviously a big part of this podcast as well, so... JLo and I talk through our round 13 moves and how we're planning on utilizing another trio of trades. After that, we then get into plenty of basketball stuff, touch on two games of the NBA Finals and where we see both teams standing at the moment. Huge, huge game three on the cards. By the time you're listening to this, it's very possible that game three will be in the books and JLo made some pretty bold predictions about what's going to happen in that game. So we talked about that, did a little bit of a lap around the association, talking about some of the coaching changes, the Lakers, the Jazz, plenty of bits and pieces, and then wrapped it up with another fantastic Mount Rushmore. Whoever wins this will move into the outright lead, uh, and I think... It's going to be a tight one once again. So let's not waste any time and dive into what is another Ripper podcast. What better way to celebrate reaching hump day than by sitting down with a great man at JLo to discuss sports? Uh, just crushed another uni assignment. Nothing new for you, mate. How's uh, the first half of your week going? It's literally been all uni assignments. Like had one due on Monday, obviously left it to the last minute. Had one today, got one due on Friday. So I'm I'm running low on sleep, real low, like two or three hours last night. But um, got them in, did a bloody good job of them uh, as usual. So I'm I feel I'm pretty up here at the moment, to be honest, because I'm sort of on that. I've had like seven coffees today I'm, I'm gone you know so i'm good to Hell go yeah. yeah i'm ready to ready to talk some sport bring an energy the man is built different uh i think it's fair to say that we've got better team chemistry than uh, the melbourne demons at the moment after the whole stephen may jake melksham debacle fiasco whatever oh, you want to call it i've not i've not heard i've not paid attention oh, Fill me in, mate mate so word on the street is so steve may was out this week with concussion Obviously, got concussed uh, in... Oh, what game was that? Oh, the greatest win in Fremantle history, did you say? Uh, <laughs> well, well, is it after this week? <laughs> yeah, I was stepping on my own toes. I uh, stole my headline for later in the pod. But no, nah, they were um, apparently out at dinner. A couple of Melbourne boys, as you do, having a couple of beers. Uh, Stephen Ray was not meant to be drinking because he's in the concussion protocol. But uh, he and Melksham uh, started throwing barbs, verbal barbs back and forth. And Steve Mays clapped with the, uh, well, lucky you weren't playing in the grand final or we would have lost, mate. So Melksham's apparently just gone him. And the two of them have had, Please. I don't know if they like went at it in the restaurant or if they were like yelling at each other and took it to the streets. But apparently Jake Melksham's been ruled out this week because he's fucked his hand. Like he hurt his hand in that scuffle. Well, I hope he didn't punch old Maisie in the head because he might be out for longer. Well, Maisie's been given a uh, one-week ban by the club for breaking concussion protocol. But, yeah, that was a very weird story that's still doing the laps uh, 
around the footy sphere. There's plenty to talk about around the footy sphere. I reckon that's where we'll start uh, today's ep. Want to briefly, because we haven't talked about the boys for a couple of weeks, want to briefly uh, draw your attention towards the West Coast Eagles, who, as we're well aware, just have it a Having a bit of a struggle this season, but that's okay. All We're good things are. Having a time. Yeah, you got to go down to come up, right? Uh, but yeah, it's it's bleak for the Eagles. Um, what do you reckon West Coast lacks? What do you think from a playing list profile they really need? Because uh, we hardness. talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it for oh, I don't know, probably the best part of two years. And your infamous quote that they have stars on every line. But those blokes are starting to dwindle. Shep's retired. Bunga Hearn's probably going soon. McGovs is still going to be kicking. But the other end of the ground, you lost JK. Lacrar and Cripps were kind of, you know, not all Australian small forwards, but they were still like best 22 caliber cats. And same with the midfield. They're starting to kind of crumble a bit. So what hardness you said, but what do you reckon they lack as a to kind of complement their uh, list that they've got at the moment and start the surge up the ladder? Well, where do I bloody begin? No, yeah. I think it, it truly is that that desire that translates into hardness and effort. And look, their, their skills are a little, they're not up to scratch for the game plan that they're trying to play, but that could be overcome with that heart attack on the footy and the, the, like the willingness to run hard and work hard. Mm. I think um, I'm pretty sure on the broadcast that, they mentioned that Simo or someone said they're lacking a bit of fitness at the moment. Um, and I think that that shows um, and it's, and it's from the guys that you'd expect it. Like there's been plenty of times that Gary Lyon or Nick Rewalt during a halftime or quarter time have been like, look, look at Liam Duggan, not willing to run as hard as Isaac Heaney when we played yeah. them or, or whenever it was. And it, it's those guys that are sort of touted as those future stars or the future leaders of the club who aren't doing it. Um, obviously not having the leaders there like Shuey and Yo and Gaffey's sort of been in and out who, who would potentially show that. I think that's a problem, but it, it really is that willingness to work hard and the, you know, that, that hardness at the ball. Skills, for the footy. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, you know, every AFL team has re- pretty good body skills I don't think ours are good enough, quite good enough to play the game style we're trying to play. But um, I think that could all be overcome with attack on the footy and a you know attack of the the game. But we just don't have it. So that's my that's what I think. I don't think it's positional. I think it really is a desire thing or a mindset thing more than anything for, thing for West Coast. I mean they they did make the finals last year, did they? I tend to forget. Might, might have scraped in maybe. Yeah, if they did. I don't think they uh, stayed there for long. They might have had a cup of coffee there, but uh, I'm sure they did. But regardless, um, I think you're right. I think it's a bit more, like it's not necessarily a list thing. The bloke they grabbed in the mid-season draft, Jai Cully, he was touted to be a top 10 pick in the upcoming draft, and he'll probably provide a bit of that grunt and that inside contested bull uh, that they probably lack a little bit, but, I don't think one bloke or recruiting a gun midfielder or another key forward for the future or whatever it might be is going to flip it. Just curious to uh, hear from a West Coast uh, fan's standpoint. And I guess the thing about Cully, just before we move on, is, and I think I heard Lordo saying it during the week, 
is that, you know, it was about Jack O'Horn Francis, you know, like you can be an elite player who's drafted to a shit team with a shit culture and you're not going to reach your potential. And I, and I worry that people sort of might look at Carly and be like, Oh, he'll bring this, but it's actually, you you bring what your club asks of you and expects of you. And I, I worry that, that he might, sort of get bad habits kind of thing yeah. and i and i think that same thing for north and and the bombers and some other clubs as well i think uh fantasy coaches as well will be happy to see him trot out in the near future i don't not sure if their waffle team has the buy this week west coast i presume they do it seems like it's a bit of a flow on effect for every afl club when the senior team rests the reserve team tends to take the week off as well but be very keen to watch him uh at AFL level and see what he contributes. Similar mm. can be said for a, a young bloke who played for Peel Thunder on the weekend by the name of Nathan Fife. He's uh, going to be making his triumphant return for the surging Dockers. We're going to be at the game. Going to go watch Fife do his business. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Freeman will transition him back into their starting 22. I don't want to talk too much about what they've done the last couple of weeks. I feel like that's been bashed around by most like media outlets. We get it. They beat number one and they beat number two, but it's still the middle of the year. And after we lost those couple of games to Gold Coast and Collingwood, Longmuir kind of put the mocker, or not the mocker, but put the heat back on the boys and we're like, yeah, we were way too ahead of ourselves. Like we haven't proven anything. And even though they have knocked off those big dogs, I still have a bit of that similar mindset or agree with what some people are saying and like what Longmuir said. But I'll be very intrigued to see how they use Fifey because he's a gun midfielder, or at least he was in the past, dual Brownlow medalist. But I do wonder how much time they'll split with him in the forward line. You're moving the magnets for Frio. You're Justin Longmuir. Where are you starting the bloke? I would be starting him and working him primarily out of the forward line because their midfield's Mm. great. Their midfield's set. You look at it and you're like, oh, well, who do you take out? You can't take Brayshaw. You don't take Sarong. Mm-mm. Mundy's Mundy's a great pinch hitter. He's not like a, a main dog in there, and you, you're not going to shift Will Brody because he's like the number one clearance player for you guys. With respect to Andy Brayshaw, but he, I mean, you saw what he did against Brisbane. He was absolutely yeah, dominant. Hard so you don't want to move up. him either. Yeah. So I would be playing him up forward. Um, takes a bit of pressure off lob. Adds a bit of height. Adds a bit of class. Adds a bit of that that Pendlebury time. As well, you know, he's another fights another one of those players who just seems to sort of slow time down around him. And if if he can bring that to that half forward line and going into the forward line, whether or not he kicks goals doesn't matter. If he can deliver True. well and sort of um, bring bring the effort that you know a, a captain should, then I think um, that he'll be great. And that's where I would be be rolling him um, personally and just pinch it pinch it when you need. This is kind of the way Pendlebury is doing it for Collingwood this year, obviously at the other end of the ground. Yeah. I mean, I'm torn a little bit. Mundy actually attended the most centre bounces for Frio on the weekend, but, you know, C- CBAs aren't the entire midfield rotation, right? There's a lot of stoppages around the ground and throw-ins and shit like that. Mm. And I think, you know, he's what, 36 now, Davo is. So I would almost prefer to see by season's end, maybe not initially, but by season's end, be playing that David Mundy role. And then you can transition Mundy through a bit of the wing or the half forward. Because I feel like he's still, where we're at at the moment, where where the Dockers are at at the moment, I hate blokes 
that do that. I don't know why it grinds my gears, people that call them we and us. Uh, I've probably done it most podcasts, but where the Dockers are I'm pretty are sure at, I probably did it with West Coast just yeah. before, yeah. Where the Dockers are at at the moment, are they genuine contenders? Seems like they're shaping up to be, but if they're going to make a serious premiership tilt, whether that's later this year or in 18 months' time, they probably need Fifey to be clicking on all cylinders to get over that hump. Granted, there's a lot more support around him now than there has been in years past, but I still want to see him firing, and I think he plays his best footy in the midfield. That being said, you're probably not going to like rely on his uh, body to get through an entire season playing fully in the midfield. So it's wise for him to toggle through the forward and the midfield. The split that Longmuir uses will be very interesting to watch. And I think there's other talented midfielders that can help fill the void. Will Brody's one of them, obviously, that you talked about. We've seen Blakey Akers, James Aish play quite a bit on a wing and do solid. So their midfield depth is pretty strong. And Fremantle's always lacked goal kickers. So I do wonder, like you said, even if Fifey's not kicking snags, he's obviously going to be a positive impact up forward. But yep. Do you say he plays his best for, uh, footy in the middle because he's really only ever played in the middle? There's been little yeah. times he's gone up forward, but he's, he's never played much footy there. Like he's, he's one of the elite talents in AFL history. I'd back Fifey to, to figure it out. And I, I don't think you can play Monday up forward. You would have to push him out to a wing. So then where's that push, Aish or Collier or Brody, uh, not Brody, Akers? Mm. Uh, I think Fife should be a pinch hitter in the middle coming off the forward line just because of his, his body, but also because he's, he's, he's good enough to do it. Uh, that's my opinion on it anyway. He could be uh, interesting to be utilised as a bit of a, not a traditional centre-half forward, but like start in that spot and kind of be the link kick inside 50. And like you said, pinch yeah. hit, but... Matty yeah, Richo. I'm, I'm very fascinated to see uh, how Longmuir deploys Matt Fife. Uh, been a very quick West Coast footy wrap. Down the Eagles, down the Dockers. Let's look at a couple of bigger picture things. Because I, uh, before the season started, was big on the Bulldogs. I thought this was going to be their premiership season. I thought they were going to have a serious tilt at a flag. But fuck me, they haven't convinced us through half a season. I think, what are we? We're going in around... 13 so we've technically flipped into the second half of the season most teams will play their 12th or 13th game this weekend where do you stand on the dogs because i watched that game against geelong on friday night pretty intently and for years i've said that you know or maybe not years but for ages i've said that their defense is pretty good that's uh alex keith down there doing the righty there's a couple of other boys in there that go all right bailey dale's a pretty uh, attacking halfback, Caleb Daniels right up there too, but the defense actually looked pretty shit on the weekend. Granted, they were going up against Jezza Cameron and Tom Hawkins, who are arguably the best one-two punch in the forward line in the comp, but I'm not as sold on the doggies as I have been in the past. I've been sticking to my guns and saying that I reckon they'll bounce back and they're still, what, ninth or tenth, so they're right in the mix to make finals and make some noise when they get there, but not as high on them as I once was. Well, here's what I'll say about their defense. Their defense looked shit because their midfield was shit and got convincingly beaten um, in hardness. And just similar to what we've said about West Coast earlier, that that willingness to work hard and run and, and go at the contest. Um, and you could see that Baz Smith was frustrated. You could see that they weren't moving the ball well. 
Everyone was down. You look at all our fucking fantasy scores. We look, yeah. we look like idiots for having the whole yeah. side in there. It was their midfield that let them down in a big way. And obviously, you know, it, it wasn't one of those games that was over at halftime or anything, but their midfield hurt their back line by getting convincingly beaten. The ball was just sailing into Jezza Cameron and that, especially that first quarter. I reckon that was the doggies midfield really like laying an egg on the weekend. That game was night. just, yeah, weekend, that counts. That game was begging for someone to step up and like grab it by the scruff of the neck and be like, yep, it's Bond kicks two goals in a quarter, three goals in a quarter and like wrestled momentum back their way. But none of them did it. Like McRae, Bond, no. Dunkley, Bailey Smith. The only thing he did was uh, obviously the best interaction was to hit Zach Tui at three-quarter time with his head. But he had a good little little period maybe in the second quarter or something like that. He might have honestly been in that third going into that break. I think he had like 11 or 12 touches or something. And then they brought someone out on him. I will say like uh, out of all of the bunch, I thought Jack McRae, even though he was the actual, the only one who actually touched the footy, fuck, he was bad. His decisions with the footy, I know he's rated as an elite user, but he makes crap decisions. He fails to look laterally. He fails to bring other people into the game. He really feels like a fantasy stat chaser. Feels like he's the sort of bloke who would go in at halftime and be like, what am I on? Oh, I've got to get that up. More kicks. Like, I don't know the bloke. I'm sure he's a great fella. Sorry, Jack, if you're listening. But And any of Jack's mates. He is mates, listening. All the dogs listen. Yeah. But I, I, I just, I thought he was one of the blokes. And obviously the other doggies midfielders didn't bring the intensity, but Jack McRae's use was shit. For a bloke he had it 30 times, I reckon he used it poorly, 20 of them. Not saying that he missed kicks or anything, but the kicks that he 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 went for and goes for aren't, don't open the game up. They're really basic, down the line, uninventive kicks. And I yeah, I'm I'm really like cooling off on Jack McCray. I thought he was a gun, but his his decisions are shite. So yeah. That makes uh that makes two of us because I was a big Jack McCray fan. Started with him in fantasy this year, but yeah, there was a point. In that game, I'm pretty sure it was Bailey Williams, but they were kind of just chipping the ball around. Um, and there's a couple of stats I've got to back this up, but Bailey yeah, Williams yeah. kicked it. Yeah, very uh, very rare for Frosty to have a couple of stats for the podcast, but they were just chipping around, you know, trying to look for a switch, et cetera, et cetera. And Bailey Williams just like butchered this kick. And it was, you know, yeah. an Oz kick type kick. And then I can't remember if it went out of bounds or Geelong then went and got it and kicked a goal, but it led to another Geelong major. And as that happened, I was just like shaking my head, like, Jesus, this defense and the dogs skills in general just seem pretty piss poor. They're 17th in the AFL for clangers per game, which a team that boasts some elite kicks or what you assume are elite kicks. It's pretty fucking alarming. They're only 14th for tackles as well, which again, you roll out a midfield with the names and the class that they've got. And you think, Oh, all right. I thought that they'd be clicking on all cylinders and doing a bit what Melbourne and arguably Fremantle has been doing, just controlling and dictating terms in the middle of the ground. But you make a good point. That's probably part of the reason, at least why their defense is on the back foot and struggling is because their midfields just seems to just be going through the motions. And in the last two years, they were one of the best handballing teams I've ever seen. Mm. They would open the game up and run and and kick to space and use six or seven of like six or seven lightning handballs that you sort of 
half of them you're thinking, how'd they see that? Where did that, how'd they get that through that gap? But they've just gone away from that. They just play boring, sort of like safe footy. And they're also like, like I said, they're just not hard at it at the moment. They need a couple of blokes to really put their head over the footy. Like J-Mac's not the bloke to do it. I wouldn't say Trell's the bloke who does it. I thought Bailey Smith was a guy who did it, but he's failed to bring that intensity in the last few weeks. Dunkley kind of does it, but they've got no want for the footy and they've got no dare at the moment. So they're, they're in a bit of trouble, but they're, they're one of those teams that has the cavalry to, if they flick the switch, they'll be laughing. I agree. I mean, they've still got stars on every line, so it's very possible they that they can find their mojo and bounce back, but... Yeah, fuck me. They have not looked convincing in the past couple of weeks and my uh, my hard-earned dollars are in serious danger. Hopefully, they can right the ship. Um, do you reckon that they've still got a chance to win the flag or is it yeah, like it's too definitely. early to draw a line through anyone really, but other than maybe West Coast of North Melbourne? But, yeah. but if, you, if we had to quickly like rank the teams that we think could win the flag, where would you put the doggies? Like in like the six to eight range, maybe? Well, I put them in the group that I think can win the flag. So that yeah, says enough. Shy. You know, it doesn't matter where you rank them. It, it, the, if they can win the flag, they can win the flag. But they've got a lot to work out in the next 11 games. Yeah. I do wonder, oh, let me have a, let me have a quick gander at their uh, schedule because I do wonder if they'll start to generate a bit of the pretenders label if they slip off. they got the Giants off their bye. Then they got the Hawks, Lions, Swans, Saints. So some the t- couple of tough teams mm. there. If they go a yeah. losing record through those four or five, we'll go 50-50. They might be even in danger of missing the eight. But, yeah, I digress. Let's see what the Bulldogs can dish up after their uh, buy. Speaking of buys, we are about to hit the middle buy round. AFL fantasy coaches are well aware of uh, the fact that you've got three trades up your sleeves. I'm not too unhappy with where I'm sitting in the large fries and Coke. I slipped about a hundred spots in the ranks, but I still managed to score 18, 23 off the dome. And I'm sitting right at that, like 1500, one and a half thousand mark. Uh, my trade plans are a little bit all over the shop and we'll probably wait till tomorrow night. But how are you traveling and the Cusplork and Bloys looking with one buy round in the books? Well, look, I'm way behind you, um, but I moved up last week on the back of a Tukey Miller captaincy, Brayshaw scoring well, oh, brought nice. Tommy Mitchell in, um, which worked well. See how he goes against you boys, but he's a, he's probably the one bloke on the Hawks you're sort of back in to get 100, at least I hope oh. he does. Other other than that 50 he had, he's actually had a reasonable season. He's just not been the Tom Mitchell we know and love. Um, but, yeah, I've got quite a few of the... Um, GWS boys up against North this week. So that's good. Lots of dogs mm. out. Obviously have to address the um, Baz Smith issue, but that's a pretty easy lateral to someone like Josh Kelly or um, maybe Walshie. Um, and then hope I'm hoping from there I can somehow manage to squeeze Doherty into my back line. Um, nice. I'm not sure if that'll be this week or next week, but... Look, going all right. Um, I think I need to make one trade um, to get to the 18. I think I'm at 17 again. Um, But I was heavy on 12s and 13s. So um, after this week, I'll be laughing. 
Uh, and yeah, just see how we go. Just keep hitting the captains. That's the key, I think. True. I uh, <laughs> took the C off. Maximus gone. Yeah. Put it on Andy Brayshaw. Took it oh. off Andy Brayshaw. Yeah. Yeah. Put it on Tom Mitchell because I was like, ah, it's the boys Rolls Royce tactic. I can't not put the the fantasy pig in my. It could have uh, been. Could have been worse. Yeah. Traded Nick Dacos to him and still technically made ground. It was only by three points, but oh, yeah, hopefully yeah. Tommy Mitchell can bounce back and, well, at least not even bounce back, but return to Tom Mitchell that we know and love. I reckon he'll average 110 plus from here on out. He seems like after the early woes that, you know, he wasn't in the ball, wasn't on the ball, wasn't near the um, CBAs or in that midfield rotation. And then there was those rumors of Sam Mitchell saying he wanted to get more time and, run into like Josh Ward and Jai Newcomb. I think Tommy Mitchell's still like the leader in that midfield and will keep chewing up heavy rotation minutes. But I uh, really, really want to try and get my hands on Jing John Kelly this week. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull off the feet. I've got 18 blokes before trades. And I think after doing a bit of research and head counting, I'll have 18 before trades next week as well. Um, couple of big midfielders that are going on to the buy. Hence the reason I want to grab a Josh Kelly. And I do have one eye on uh, cash generation so that I can get Tuke Miller next week, but it might be time. I'm having a look at the blokes I've got on the round 14 buy. Don't really want to get rid of Darcy Cameron because he's rolling, but Will Brody might be the one that goes for me to a Tuke Miller, Callum Mills, Rory Laird type. And I can do it for just about a hundred, 150 K. So I'm torn and I'm in two minds as to whether I go for Josh Kelly this week and maybe keep, I don't know, less than 50K in the bank. Or if I look at a triple downgrade and just try and go bang, bang and get a couple of other big names in around 14. Well, look, mate, Josh Kelly's great. You'll you'll have great fun watching him play. He's Mm. certainly on my radar this week. Uh, Instant reward against North too. Yeah, that's it. And I was actually having a little squeeze at the old uh, rankings of, um, oh, sorry, the the schedules and and GWS have quite a nice fantasy mm. schedule. Um, and it does just feel to me, I, I don't know how you feel about Kelly, but it feels like he's the only like bona fide guaranteed 20 CBA midfielder on the Giants. Like Cogs will get snaps. Um, Ward will be in there a bit. Taranto might stick his head in there, but it feels like Kelly's the guy or the midfielder. Um, so I, I have a lot of faith in him. That's why I'm heavily considering him. But with that said, Tuke Miller is on, I, I feel on another level to Josh yeah. Kelly. So it's a, it's really a win-win. You'll have fun watching both of them, but uh, I don't know. Don't have an answer for you. I, I think it's, it, you can't go wrong either way. I think this week. So I'm locking in now that Sammy Hayes has been dropped. Cause obviously we've got Thursday night footy back as well. So tomorrow night, uh, Port Adelaide and Richmond go head to head. We've got about 40 to 50 minutes from when the teams drop to when that game kicks off. So anyone who's in the port Richmond jerseys will need to uh, lock your trades in ASAP. Once we find out what the teams look like. And I think for that reason, I'm going to quickly just flip Port Adelaide basement rucks. I'm going to turn that Sam Hayes bloke, into Bryn Teagle, who they took in the mid-season draft. 190K 
ruck forward. I don't really give a shit if my R3 is a non-playing bloke, as long as he's got that handy yeah. DPP. Because the other bloke I've got is Braden Pruce. So he's under a bit of an injury cloud. Or not even an injury cloud. He's sick. It's like an illness cloud. So oh. if he's unwell and can't get up, it seems all reports indicate that he's going to be back the following week. But I don't know. I don't feel great about it. So if he's not there this week, I'll probably do a bit of shuffling, put Dars Cameron at R2 and turn him into Josh Kelly. If not, though, Zach Butters is probably going to get chopped out. I know that the bloke's been going okay and I've <laughs> threw him under the bus after his 30 and his 60 or whatever not too long ago, but he hasn't gone over 106 games. Granted, it's a couple of 90s in there, so he's been close, but one of them was against North. I just don't think he's going to get the same midfield minutes that we've kind of talked about Josh Kelly gets, especially the way that Connor Rosie's played the last month to six weeks. I feel like his cap will probably be at a 85 to 95, but Josh Kelly is the form player of the comp at the moment. He's one of my favorite players. So I think I'll just bite the bullet, bring him in, probably roll the V on Andy Brayshaw because we're going to go watch the man better. And then uh, if all else fails, I'll just hopefully watch Josh Kelly chalk it up against North. Yeah, no, I like it. Uh, I must admit, I'm kind of looking at um, Kelly... 908 and he's sitting right there with Darcy Parrish and I I thought about it a bit this week and I I wonder who's actually the better fantasy player you're right Josh Kelly mm. might be the form bloke but I feel like Darcy Parrish has a lot higher ceiling without having a much lower floor um, yeah I tend to agree so yeah I'm gonna have a few headaches this week trying to figure out the Bailey Smith lateral but um yeah one of those two are Walshy I reckon at least and, the positive. Uh, I've already got two. Yeah, at least the positive with Bailey is that he's still like, even though he had a bit of a stinker, he's still what, like eight hundred and eighty grand or something. Yeah, somewhere around that uh, mark. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I think it'd know. be I'd save money if I went to Walsh. Oh no, it would cost me three grand. Three grand. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. as a Walshy owner, uh, feel free to jump on the bandwagon. It's a good ride. I don't think he's gone under one hundred and five since I got him. Hasn't had the big 130, 140 that I want or desire yet, but mm. still time. It's a long AFL season. Uh, for what it's worth, I think kind of going back to what you were talking about, Cogs and Josh Kelly, I think Canelio is going to start getting those midfield minutes on a more regular basis now that Spike McVay's calling the shots. Mm. His last two mm. games, he's attended 59% and 63% of centre bounces, which isn't a shitload, but they're season highs. So... I think Cogs closer to the ball should see him score a bit better. And I think overall having McVeigh steering the ship, will see some of the giant stars really peak and rise in uh, fantasy relevance. So maybe this is just me trying to justify spending up to get Josh Kelly this week. Actually it is. Who am I kidding? But I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a bit of a um, Lockie Whitfield resurgence as well. He's had a mm. shit call it what it is first half of the year. So Especially oh, from a fantasy yeah. standpoint. So, yeah. So, I don't know. I think after a couple of trades, I'll hopefully turn either Pruce or Butters into Kelly. And then I might even do a... I've got a Robbie McComb sitting there. I can turn him to Caleb Marchbank, the uh, Carlton bloke, who hopefully will score a couple of 60s for me. And then he'll just sit on the pine and I can cash him in after the buys. Uh, so, those are my three trades at the moment. What uh, trio of moves are you looking at? 
Uh, I've been thinking about Macomb out all week. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond that, obviously in the Bailey lateral, as much as I actually feel like I want to keep him, but I'll give him, I can always bring him back in. Um, he's got 141 break even. So, yeah, I, um, I haven't thought much past it other than the fact that Baz is either going to one of those three, um, that's Darcy Parish included, and then try and sneak Doherty into me back line, which would actually finish it. Um, but I don't have a, a genuine plan for how that would look. So um, just wait for selection, honestly, and pick some rookies. Some... I think a lot of people's moves will be dictated, dictated or dictated Bottom. by uh, by which rookies appear. Uh, Judson Clark, Judson Clark, is a playing for Richmond. Uh, mm. Does not interest me. I reckon he's a combination of Sam Butler and Connor McDonald, the two Hawthorne blokes that combined to score about 80 points the last couple of weeks. So yep. okay. probably uh, advice is to steer away from there. 232K, not my jam. Uh, Sam Durden was a potential debutant for the Blues. He was a pick in the mid-season draft, 195K defender. Not going to happen. Surely not after now they named Caleb Marchbank as well. Uh, he may shock the world and come in around 14, but I think until he's in, you can probably avoid him. Machido uh, Owens, St. Kilda bloke, about 260K. Pure mid. Too expensive. Yeah, I don't know, though. In the book, look, I'm the looking March for back bloke's 290. Yeah, they're not there, mate. Because well, getting... Honestly, I brought in Cully last week. Didn't Knew he wasn't going to play for a few weeks, but doesn't bother me because I'm at the point where, look, Buyers are a little bit different, but after the buyers, I'm I'm looking at finishing a side here. I'm not trying to. I don't care about the fucking bench, you know. Don't care yeah. if they're crap, as long as some of them potentially give me a a um, score off a emergency. I, I'm feeling good. So I obviously, we'll try and pick playing one nineties um, or low two hundreds. But yeah, I'm trying to make money here. I'm finally getting these these rookies who've got their gut right up to their max. I want to make as much money as off, off them as I can so I can bring in the the guns. That's how I'm looking at it anyway. So yeah, I think it's a tough one because there's a lot all I've been getting in the last fortnight from fantasy fans is which rookie do I bring in? Who's the 190k Ruckman that I need? Who's the this bloke? And I'm like, boys, they're not out there. I know that a couple or girls. I know that a couple of people will like yourself will bring in the guys like Cully and Elijah Hollands and they're guys who should play in the next month too before the season's out. But yeah, I don't know. Punting bench spots as we just get about the halfway mark is I can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. Doesn't mean it's not the right move and it might prove dividends, especially if Cully comes in in around 14 or 15 or something. But yeah, I don't know. The buy rounds always seem to throw us a couple of curveballs. I traded in that Sammy Butler bloke from Hawthorne last week and was a bit bummed that I did that. So hopefully I can ditch him ASAP. But you don't want to get stuck with too many of those duds. Look, I I don't look at... uh, Carly doesn't play this year. It doesn't matter. I can just lateral to another 190 who does play. It actually doesn't bother me. It was just, uh, look, I need to make some money. He's the bloke who might make... Like, that was what got me... I wouldn't have been able to get mutual or something like that. You know what I mean? So 
if it, if it means getting a full side of like genuine guns, I, I'm all for it because in one week I can just go, all right, well, Cully's not playing, but this bloke is. And like we've, we've seen with um, Sammy De Koning, he looked shit, didn't he? Like the first five rounds, you're like, oh, this bloody bloke. So, and I reckon Durden had one good early game, but then went flat again. But so you just need one good game from those guys and then you're like, oh, that's a 350, 400K. So I, I really don't mind taking those punts on the 190Kers and you can just lateral them if you need, especially in the buy rounds right now. Like I'm not scrambling to fill a side. So it's a good time for me to use the buy rounds to fill, a, fill my side up. Like I literally will be, hopefully by the end of the buys, sitting on a full gun lineup and then it's just mix and match and play around. So I hear what you're saying, but I don't look at it as a you're stuck with a with a dud because you can just go oh, flick him out this later. Folks playing this week, you know. Yeah. Anyway, makes a lot of sense. Yep. I uh, I don't know. <laughs> I always want to have as many blokes playing as possible. I think all fantasy coaches do. Who am I kidding? But oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm you're a finance right. major, mate. I'm all about money. <laughs> and you got to uh, have money to make money to get. Josh Kelly, as I always say. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully, I can bring in the big man. Uh, I think I've I think I've covered everything from a fantasy basis. Uh, hopefully, all the Dockers and Hawks go well when we watch them on the weekend. Uh, by the mm. time we hit the weekend, depending on which day you're talking about, there might be four NBA Finals games in the book. Uh, we've got two done and dusted. And I want to touch on plenty of finals shit because I've uh, I don't have some hot takes, but I've got some uh, intriguing ones. But I want to okay. do a little bit of a lap around the association and talk about some of the other trending headlines and the breaking news and bits and pieces. We're about a fortnight out from the draft, so I wouldn't be surprised if we, the rumor mill continues to churn. And one thing I saw earlier in the week was that Portland are potentially targeting another running mate. Now they got rid of. CJ McCollum for Dame Lillard. Do you reckon it's the right move from the Blazers' perspective? Because, I mean, if you've got Dame, you probably want to try and find a bloke that can replace CJ McCollum and you can stay in the championship mix. But what happens if you mortgage your future and bring in Bradley Beal and then all of a sudden Dame's like, mm, nah, actually, I'm not vibing this. I want to go to New York or I want to bounce. Doesn't seem like he's that type of dude, but a bit of a risky move. What else are you going to do, mate? They are hamstrung. There's nothing that they can do either way. They Look, if they get rid of Dame or something, then they're stuck. If they bring someone in, they're stuck. They're, they're in, what's the word? Purgatory. No man's right land. More, yeah, more, more so than the Nuggets were this year. They're in absolute purgatory. So they're, they're fucked. That's what they are. Yeah, rip city. Yeah, exactly. You're right. The Blazers don't really have much of a choice. They need to do something. So if that something was to get Brad Beal, maybe cash in the draft pick they've got, a couple of other bits and pieces, I get it. Uh, there's a couple of established stars who are emerging as potential trade targets. The rumor that I was addressing and talking about earlier, I saw uh, Zach Levine also mentioned. They got pick seven at the moment. So if you're operating the Blazers, Neil, Neil O'Shea's not still the president. He got shown the door, right? Eh? I'd say he did. Uh, and you are in the seat. You got the seventh overall pick. Are you happy parting ways with that to get 
Levine or Beal? And if that's the case, because you've said, obviously, they've got to do something, which one do you reckon would be better suited to run next to Dave? Oh, yeah, they both work really well. Um, I would probably much be inclined. Much to say. Yeah, I'd be pretty inclined to go for Levine just because I feel like I trust his body a bit more. And that's pretty much the only reason. Um, feel like Beal's a slightly better defender. Um, both pretty unselfish. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. They're pretty hard to split, honestly. Um, I feel like Levine's probably got the more recent all-star. So maybe I'd go him for that. I'd probably want to look at their ages. But yeah, that you have They're to... They're about the same for what it's worth. Yeah, okay. Well, you have to trade for someone. Mm. Um I don't know if the bull like depending on how Levine's tracking, I don't know if the Bulls would give pick seven up. Like they, they could win, they could win. Like I'd be spewing if Levine wanted out of the Bulls. I just yeah. wouldn't understand it. You from know, a Chicago standpoint, you mean? I mean? Are you kidding me? Like you want to go from Chicago, like one of the basketball cities, to fucking Portland? Like I've heard it's a pretty cool place, but Come on, G. Yeah, I do think I'll have to find the exact details. I don't know if Levine's contract is up or if he's rolling into the last year of his deal and that might lead to like a team calling and offering him an extension on top of it. You know what I mean? I'm pretty mm. sure his deal's up from memory. Uh, yeah, it is. So he's technically an unrestricted free agent. So they could do a sign and trade and maybe flick a couple of pieces, but you're, I don't know why I feel like I would want Levine as well next to Dame. Uh, probably much of a muchness, but yeah, watch this space. Cause Portland, uh, Portland have an interesting off season ahead of them, much like the Utah jazz who I was going to say fired their coach, but that's not true. I think they technically mutually parted ways or Quinn Schneider just decided he wanted out. Either way, you reckon this yeah. is going to be the start of the Utah Jazz blowing it up? Absolutely. They're, yeah. they're, it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's all over. They can't win it. If they keep going the way they're going, they're just going to end up like Portland. And that's, and that's not where you want to be. You don't want to be in NBA purgatory. So This is true. Uh, they're stuffed. They're stuffed. They're so stuffed. Trade, blow it up. I can see why Snyder would want out because he's an excellent coach. Like what coaching jobs are up for grabs right now? Do you know? Well, that was what I was going to say was if Quinn Snyder's out of the mix, where do you reckon we could, or out of the Utah, I should say, where do you reckon we could see him land? Because most of the coaching spots have started to be filled. One of them will address it a little bit later on. But as I get the list up, the Hornets and the Jazz are it. Well, look, he's got no no choice. He actually would fit quite well on the uh, Hornets, I think. Like, I feel like the, all the Ball brothers are quite stout defenders. Um, he's just a great system coach. I reckon that would work really nicely, um, honestly. And if I was the Hornets, I'd be, you know, depending on who else is potentially out there. Quinn Snyder's, I think, is as good a coach in the as there is in the NBA, honestly. Like, Hard to argue. Yeah, he's right up there. So, yeah, I reckon if I'm the Hornets, I'm 
picking the phone up, that's for sure. Mm. But if I'm Quinn Snyder, I don't know if I'd be up for that. Don't yeah. know. I don't want to spend too long talking about Utah, that Donnie Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, we've given plenty of airtime to, and we might see, uh, there's a rumor that I also read about Don Mitchell joining the Miami Heat, because uh, they apparently are lacking another star to pair with Jimmy Butler. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, I actually have heard that too, yeah. Um, that'd be a cool fit. I'd like to see that. I don't think I want to see Donnie go to another spot where he's kind of in a similar light as Utah and he's just like solo running the show. You know what I mean? I want to see him as part of a, I don't know, maybe a star tandem or star trio. You could call Ben, yeah. Jimmy Butler and Donnie a star trio, I reckon. Mm. Uh, but the coaching race is, yeah, very interesting. Apparently Terry Stotts, uh, a ton of assistants, like eight of them, including two from the Bucks and two from the Celtics and Frank Vogel are all in the mix to replace Quinn Snyder. And as I said before, Charlotte's the only one without a head coach as well at the moment because the Lakers mm. went and hired another Milwaukee Bucks assistant in Darvin Ham. As a head coach? hmm Jesus. Did they really? I did. Yep. I just missed all this, but yeah, good luck. Good luck, you've Darvin. Been, you've been on the, uh, what should we call it? The grind, the uni grind. I've been grinding. So just to paint you a bit of the backstory, because the reason I'm bringing this up, news broke yesterday, yesterday, that Rashid Wallace is joining uh, the Lakers coaching staff, ex-four-time All-Star and probably most famously a Detroit Piston. He was part of the 04 championship winning team with Detroit alongside Darvin Ham, who was apparently in that team. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That kind of makes a bit of sense. So Ham was a bit, bit similar to trying to compare him to a current coach, maybe a bit Ime Udoka, bounced around maybe five or six different teams, including obviously the Pistons. And then he's done the same as an assistant most recently with the Bucks. He's been there since 2018. Didn't, didn't um, Ham coach like a AAU team or a college team and quite successfully as well from memory? Possibly. I know as I peruse his Wikipedia page that he was an assistant when the Lakers got Dwight Howard, uh, was also with the Hawks, and then yeah, he's been with the Bucks. So, mm, okay, yeah, I don't know. He might anyway, have, but if so, too deep of a his, dive. Uh, yeah, it's not on his resume. Um, all right, so Ham is now calling the shots for the Lakers. First order of business: What the hell should he do with Russell Westbrook? Look, I don't think there's much you can do with him. Like he's, you're not going to get much value back. I don't, I don't think I after agree. this season. I think like he's as good of a player as you're going to get. There was always going to be growing pains, going from where he's been in his career to playing with LeBron James. You know, I I, I would be inclined to keep Russ um, and figure out his game. Like remember, must have been. I've actually forgotten his career trajectory now. I think it was during his run with the Wizards or it might have been the last year of Houston when everyone's like, for God's sake, stop shooting. And he kind of did. And he attacked the rim. He drove inside. Like, if they can find enough shooters, I I really, I've just watched a Jimmy High Roller um, thing on three-point shooting. So I'm kind of thinking about what that does to an offense like LeBron is 
a huge target. AD is a huge target. They draw a lot of attention. Russ should be getting to the rack 15 times a game. And admittedly, last year he's just blowing open layups and doing weird crap. But I think we probably saw more of those wacky Russ highlights because he was a Laker. Yeah. Um, okay. He probably does that every year. You just sort of go, oh, you know, whatever. But I think um, I, I would be inclined to keep him. Just attack the rim, figure out a way to win, like with the team you've got. Stop doing I'm just so sick of this like LeBron GMing, bring another guy and he's crap after one season. Two seasons of him and he's nothing like, it's like, mate, LeBron is like, it seems to me LeBron is clearly the hardest player to play with in history Um, from like a, you know, synergistic basketball perspective. Oh, nice. Obviously, I would have, yeah, thank you. I would have hated to play with Jordan. I would have been so scared all the time and just, you know, him like going you and punching you in the face and shit and training. But like, it seems to me like LeBron is a nightmare to play with. Like, I feel like his two best mates, Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade, were even kind of like, uh, you know, like we're going to win it all because we're so talented. But man, this is like, we're giving up a lot just yeah. for you, LeBron. And I, I, I'm just sick of that narrative. So I think keep him for God's sake, keep Russell and just figure it out. Be a basketball player, a normal basketball player on a normal team who has to get through shit and figure it out. If, yeah. if they get rid of Russell, I'll be totally off LeBron forever. Well, cop that LeBron. I, uh, yeah. I can see where you're coming from, from the, He's arguably the hardest bloke to play with, and he does love to mm. uh, put it on the GM cap from time to time. The Russell Westbrook rebirth that I think you're alluding to happened in the back half of his Houston tenure, because I remember yeah. exactly. There was a game against Boston where I think I'm pretty sure he didn't attempt a shot outside the keyway, and he had like 33 points or something on about, 17 shots and he hit like 13 or 14 of them, something ridiculous. Mm. And then mm. he went on a stretch it was before the league um, got shut down because of COVID, but he went on a massive tear in like the January, February post all-star bit where he was averaging thirties pretty regularly. I'm just getting his splits mm. up now. So in the month of January for 11 games, he averaged, or sorry, the month before he averaged 27 points and shot 42.8%. So you're like, oh, not ideal. He bumped that up nearly 10%, shot 52% and averaged 32 points. And then the next month in eight games, averaged 33 points, shooting almost identical, if not closer to 55%. And he wasn't shooting a lot of threes, wasn't hitting many either. But you're right, he did. He's shown in the past that he can evolve and change his game. But with the exception of that brief 20-game snippet, we haven't seen a lot of Russ evolving or changing his style but you know like it's, he's a former mvp imagine if you were yeah. to try and tell a former mvp no 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 what you've done for 10 to 12 years to be successful isn't actually what we need you to do they're gonna be like oh fuck you like you have no idea what you're talking about i'm russell Westbrook. Exactly. so yeah i'm uh wholeheartedly in agreement, and i think hey cons- that's surprising me considering I've, I've flipped and flopped a bit and as i was writing this i was even thinking where i stand but i think he He's worth so little on the trade market. Every other team that seems to be potentially involved is like, righto, you got to sacrifice draft capital as well. And if you're the Lakers, as much as you want to 
you know, appease LeBron and make sure that you're in the championship window. You need to have half an eye on to the future because the bloke's fucking 87 years old. Russ isn't yeah. much younger either. Anthony Davis is made of glass. So you can't, like Cleveland kind of stood steadfast later in his uh, second tenure. They were like, nah, man, we're not trading the pick that became Colin Sexton for DeAndre Jordan. Like, mm. nah, just, this is our team. On, we're getting a couple of shooters and hopefully, yeah, a new regime and a new coaching staff can help find the best of those blokes. Cause I do want to see the Brock. Like I still love the man as a basketballer, got me a ring. So I'll uh, always have a special place for him in my heart. And hopefully he and the Lakers can kind of get their mojo back after what will be a very interesting off season. Yeah. Always is with LeBron. All right. We've kind of beat around the bush a bit. Uh, we've got a very intriguing Mount Rushmore on the for, uh, horizon. But we haven't talked anything NBA finals yet. I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say. So we've, we've done a lot of sport talk and we're yet to address yeah. the biggest series of 2022. So tied at one apiece, which we kind of expected. Jason Tatum had his rough shooting outing that you predicted, but it was a very different rough shooting outing. A bit credit through two games goes to Draymond for his great defense. Have you been able to watch much of game one and two? No, I've watched um, almost none of it. So I'm just sort of going off box scores. More oh, Look, I've looked at highlights, but you don't see the misses, you know? So, yeah, fill me in. Well, I'll give you the quick game one recap. I think Tatum's first shot, or at least a couple of minutes in the game, was an airballed three. And from that I moment... I did see his... I did see all his shots from game one. Sorry, okay. I will... like Just like a highlight thing. Yeah, just he switch. didn't look... He's played probably one good half of basketball in two games, which was the first half of game two. But again, I think the Warriors defense, which we didn't give a lot of credit or shine to when we did a quick preview, has been a factor. I think probably the biggest observation that I've noticed through two games is just how average Clay Thompson looks. He does not look like the same Clay that we know and love. I know that he had a couple of big scoring games against Memphis and he ended the regular season with that string of three games scoring over 30, but yeah, man, he does not look great. He's uh, averaging 13 points per game and shooting 30% through two. And I don't, I don't want to say he looks slower, but he's just making like bad passes, missing open mm. shots. Just looks off. Doesn't look like the Clay Thompson that we all know and love. So that's a pretty alarming factor if you ask me. Um, and I think, even though they won game two, I think momentum is probably shifting with Boston. They're going home. It's the first finals game that Boston will have had in 12, 14 years. So yeah, yeah 12 years. Quick math. Uh, and they'll, they'll be up and about. Boston fans always bring the energy. So I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Boston win game three and those road players kind of step up. But I really hope, and I said this on Monday's podcast, I really hope one of these two games becomes like the playoff classic that we all hang yeah. out for. And I think we're going to get it. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I reckon we're going to get it. Yeah. No, it's look, they're two teams that so it's a weird matchup. It really is, it a, is a strange old matchup. It's one of those ones where you're like, I don't think these are the two best teams in the NBA. Maybe you could make the case for the Warriors. But I don't it's you just like even last year you're like, eh, I don't think the Suns are the best one of the best two teams in the NBA. Maybe that was just me because I 
fucking hate them. But, um, you know, it's not like when we were watching LeBron Curry sort of go at it for four years, you're like, oh, these are the two best fucking teams in the league. Like, clearly, by a long way, they've got the best players, they're the best teams. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to even think back to before those series. Well, before that, you got a bit of out. San Antonio and Miami, and that was cut from a very similar oh, cloth. Yeah, yeah. You could maybe argue that the Spurs maybe weren't out of the West, but absolutely unequivocally Miami. Mm. And then before that, you had sort of Boston, like, yeah, Boston Lakers. And you're like, yep, these guys are the two best teams. So it, I think it's one of those just weird years. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if these are the two best teams like it's time for another dynasty to rise this might be the last little squeak from the warriors but i do agree they've got the 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 firepower and also like the the weird evenness in their their unique differences that sort of match up strangely but not at all um yeah i feel like there will be an an undeniable classic and it will probably come on the back of curry and tatum going mono e mono that's in fact that's probably the only way it can happen let's be honest with what you're saying about clay fuck knows what jordan pulls bringing to the table each game it's got to be clay uh sorry it's got to be steph and it's got to be tatum who really go for it unless we got a clay and steph versus jalen and yeah jason but um it's time for those two big dogs to step up i mean look jason tatum shooting like shit had 28 yeah. points still shot under 50%. Like, he is not a good shooter. So he's got to figure it out. Um, but yeah, let's go, Steph. I'm going for the Warriors now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I'd, if you had gun to my head, I, don't, I wouldn't say that Boston's the best team in the East. I'd say that's the Bucks. But yeah, I think you need to put a bit of respect on the name, considering they beat the Bucks and the Nets, swept the Nets. And the heat, like those are probably, those are probably the top three teams with Boston, like that top quartet in the East, but it's a very, yeah, you're right. It is a bit of a funky finals. I think we could yeah, be, staring, right. nah, we could be staring down at Golden State's last hurrah. Cause like I said, Clay's not struggling. Well, no, Clay's struggling. Clay doesn't look the same. Clay's struggling. He's had yeah. moments this playoffs, but he hasn't had any moments yet this finals. Uh, the third quarter is going to be the catalyst in uh, game three and four, I reckon. Uh, and it's been that way for the last couple of games. Uh, you ready? You know what time it is. Okay. It's, it's useless sports by fry stat time. We need a little soundboard so we can hit a button so that, you know, so we know there's a little song or something. Yeah. You need to get on that. Yeah. Good call. Uh, so since Steve Kerr became the Golden State coach, which was in 2014-15, eons ago it feels like, uh, including the playoffs, the Golden State Warriors in the third quarters have outscored teams by over 2,000 points. Uh, mm. There's no other team in the entire NBA that has a differential of 1,000 or more in any quarter period. So Golden State, yeah. their third quarter is where they make their bread. They outscored the Celtics by, I want to say, 21. It was 21 in the last game, and they outscored them by 14 in game one. So if they can have that same hot third quarter, they can definitely challenge and win game three. But 
if Boston manages to quell that influence at home in the third quarter specifically, I'm not going to be shocked if we see a 3-1 lead going back to the Bay because Boston momentum's with them in my eyes. I know that they didn't win game two, but yeah, I feel like they're primed to win two games at home and really push Golden State and put their backs against the wall. Warriors by 30. I just believe it in my soul. Yep. Yep. They're going to smash them because I just don't feel like Boston has the, I don't know if it's maturity or I just don't know what it is. Don't know what it is about Boston's makeup plus Udoka that I don't think they can figure out the Warriors this quickly. Like this needs to go to seven for, for Boston to win because the Warriors have, three or four really good punches. And like you just said, that culminates in that third quarter, mm. um, those blitzes. And like, I got to see it firsthand in round one and it took till game. I think it was game four for the nuggets to go like, Oh, we got it. I'm not sure if Boston have the maturity, like, I don't know if it's maturity or just the, the personnel to, yeah, the personnel maybe yeah. that can figure it out quick enough. So I reckon the Warriors are going to pound them. Pound them on their home court. 30-point win, Warriors. Take it to the bank. Jimmy Butler will not lose game seven. Golden State will win by 30. I I didn't have any others up my sleeve, but, you know, we're all entitled to our wrong opinions, and uh, Mm. I think you're going to be wrong. 30 points is obviously a bit of a uh, uh, what's the word? Hail Mary. Wouldn't be shocked if it was 2-2 going back to the Bay, but gun to my head, I'm picking Boston to win both games at home. I think that they're going to okay. take momentum and then Golden State hopefully wins game five and six. We get a game seven, but if I had to change my pick, I would say Boston in five, six, six, not five. Got to give Golden State some credit, but I hope it's, you know, we expected both teams to throw punches. Both teams have won by double digits in their two wins. And it's actually been a, interesting series weird one yeah from a standpoint but i've enjoyed it we'll move on in it like i know we're harping on now but i I don't know how you can say that boston have the momentum they just lost by like 20 points yeah but i feel like the they scored 88 points yeah i still have faith in their the way that they won game one obviously al horford had his what 26 or something, but you're probably not going to get six combined points from Smart, Horford, and Williams again. You'd expect them to bounce back a bit, especially at home. Marcus Smart's the type of bloke that thrives at home. You might, yeah. But yeah, I've still uh I've still got faith that we're in for a longer series, but I would mm. be uh I'd be picking Boston if I could change my pick. And why just last question, why are you why are you convinced of the way that Boston won game one? They only just won game one, like in the last four minutes. Yeah. They but went that on whole... that surge. They had a surge. They got hot. Yeah. The Warriors could have hit one shot and closed the game, but they, they just couldn't. I just feel like, I, I don't know. I didn't watch game two, so I will go back and watch. Oh, no, I won't because game three is about to happen. But I just don't, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Not seeing what you're seeing. Hey, we'll see what uh see what happens in game three. Hopefully we get a classic. We'll find out uh 
next Classic week. Classic we'll be- 50 from Steph Curry as they win by 30, boy. Hey, look, if if they won by 30 and Steph dropped 50 and I was wrong, I would still be pretty chuffed because that would be epic to watch. But, yeah, as a, a mutual party, I don't really care how the series goes. But yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah, there's one series I do care about winning, and that is the Mount Rushmore battle. So Me too. we are now locked at two apiece after four Mount Rushmore counts. Uh, was a tighter count last week. The mm. AFL players uh, that we build our potential squad around was an interesting concept. And we'll do an NBA one of the same ilk in the future. But today we are looking at the best handles of all time. Which NBA player has the best crossover, the best handles? Who are you backing in to get to the cup with a couple of moves, a la Mr. Fry chopping up the year sevens at the science basketball courts. Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. So uh, I've got look, number one pick. You've got the number one pick again. Uh, I'll be very interested to see how the first three or four picks unfold, but the floor is yours, my friend. Well, I must admit, I'm actually pretty glad I've got the number one pick because I think there's a clear top three in my mind. Okay. Um, but boy, you don't want, it's really hard to make this first pick. Like it's really like there's, there's a clear almost top two, I think. And then there's the third who's broken away. Oh God. This is really tricky. So I guess, I mean, how old is your audience roughly? Is that are they our age? Are they young? I think so. I think most of them are are around similar age to us. Maybe a couple of years younger, but not many cats still in high school. Shout out to the uh, the faithful school students that I teach that uh, keep the analytics pumping for the Sports by Fry brand. But yeah, yeah, most of the blokes are in their twenties. It's I guess that's the question. It's you know who do I think people are going to respond to the best on the thing because I. I think the top two you can you can split in hairs really. Mm. One's better at something, one's better. I think I'm going to go with Kyrie Irving, number yeah, one. Okay. I do think he's probably the best ball handler in history. Just has a bit more than AI. AI obviously had like the crazy crossover and like the shake, and he's probably he's probably broken more ankles than Curry. You know, he's probably dropped more cats, and he's probably got those those highlights that are synonymous with having great ball ball handling skill but i think Kyrie is actually tighter and cleaner and can go more directions than ai so um i'll go Kyrie, but ai was the other the bloke i was thinking of so i uh would like to commend you because you have just kind of thrown my draft strategy uh out of whack because i was banking on the fact that you would just be like I'm not drafting Kyrie Irving. I hate that prick. And I was no. going to get him with the third pick, but I uh, sorry, the fourth oh. pick. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I, I had a hunch that I, AI was going to be the number one pick. And if I was in your position, I think I would have made the same decision you did. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Kudos. You've come a long way as a, uh, as a Kyrie enthusiast. Yeah, I don't like the bloke. Don't like him as a winner, but he's a, a phenomenal basketball player. I can't. And probably that. just yeah, an easy answer for the best. Oh, maybe not an easy answer, but I think it's a fair pick 
for yeah, their best handling of all so. time. And I don't think you're being objective. Uh, yep. Well, yeah, I will take Alan Iverson. A uh, little bit disappointed that I'm not able to uh, exact my draft strategy, but that's all right. The wheel keeps churning. You're back on the clock with the third overall selection. Well, this one is easy for me because, like I said, they're the top three. It's very clear. And honestly, I reckon you can make the case for this guy being the greatest ball handler of all time. He's mm-hmm. probably the most skillful basketball player to ever play the game. Um, obviously, the greatest shooter, but his his ball handling ability is mm. so underrated. And I'm going with Steph Curry because, like, Kyrie has a deeper bag, but I would argue that Steph Curry has the ball on more of a string than either of the two picked before him. I think he's got the the tightest handle mm. out of every anyone in the league. D- doesn't have the best bag, but he also does stuff that's he just flows like no one else in the game. You, you can Good tell ball. that he's not he's just going the his ball handling facilitates his movement more than anyone else is the way I would put it. I like it. Uh, yeah. Didn't think that you were going to go Steph. Like once again, I thought I would get him uh, later in the piece because number wow. two on my board. Yeah. Uh, okay. And a bloke whose nickname literally has the word crossover in it. I think. Yeah. There might be some of the audience that hasn't seen all the highlights that this bloke produced, but there's not many NBA players that can say they scored 50 in their. Uh, I want to say it was his final game for Phoenix, but yeah, Jay crossover, Jamal Crawford. Can't really go wrong with any of the blokes we've named thus far, but with Kyrie, Kyrie and AI off the board, I think I have to go down the path of grabbing Jamal Crawford. I loved watching him growing up. Uh, There's been a lot of, a lot might be a stretch. There's been 10-ish interactions that Sports by Fry has had with mega stars and one of them was a Jamal Crawford retweet. So I'm happy to know that I've got him locked away as the second pick for the uh, Fry's, I don't know what we'd call it, Handles collection. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That no, rolls yeah, off the I, tongue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fry Handles collection. Collective would actually be all right though. Yeah. Um, that was fun anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's, why right, yep. the, that's why I'm the marketing man. Um, I would have taken Craw- I would have taken Crawford with the fourth pick as well. I reckon it's underrated player all time, and just mm. it's it was his. He has the one move. It's the across and then back behind, Bang. going for the layup, which is just yep. unreal. So Crawford definitely my number four. It gets a bit harder now, though, and there's. I You're think right. there'll be some picks that you have that I wouldn't have even thought of. Um, but well, I, I expect I've got to, as well. Yeah, I've got to go for the like the inventor of the killer crossover. And again, you could probably actually make a case for this guy being the greatest ball handler of all time. He's always talked about um, his sort of distaste for the way AI dribbles the ball and and modern players. Um, mm-hmm. And he sort of has always maintained that he was one of those, the players who never carried it, never sort of shook. And he was always on top of the ball. And that's um, Tim Hardaway, senior, not junior. Um, invented the killer crossover, ran, ran run TMC, um, and was just phenomenal basketball player, all-star. So... Um, I reckon when you do this, we should actually not do the picture. You should do like a 
a slide montage of their best crossover or something. Oh yeah, don't hate that. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you know you got to see a crossover to yeah. to have a good idea. So, run Tim uh, Timmy Hardaway is my guy at number three. Might take me a little bit longer to uh, find all those crossovers, but I agree that would actually be a, a much better. Uh, just going back to Jamal Crawford, scored yep. fifty one in the last game of the season for Phoenix against Dallas back in twenty nineteen. But he technically, yeah, but he technically played one more game in 2020 oh. when he signed and appeared, I think it was for Brooklyn for like five days. So yeah, I was wrong. He did not score 50 in his final game, but close enough. Uh, I love oh, this is a tricky one because it is. There's three blokes still on my board and I'm expecting you to take one of them. Uh, and then there's a couple well, of no. honorable mentions that I got there, but I think I'm going to side. Oh, this is a tough one. This is tough. This it is. It's really hard now. Because I agree with you. I think you could maybe put Jamal in that. First. To be honest, you could probably put these five in a bit of a group. Like, I think if you look at most lists on the internet, these five guys got to be in it that we've drafted already. And then there's a couple of others that bob up. Oh. Now I'm going to do it. I think, I think I have to take Pistol Pete Maravich, even though he's probably okay. not going to look good on my graphic. Yeah. He, again, was uh, a little bit before our time, but similar vein, you could say, with Timmy Hardaway, but he was more in the AI era. But Pistol Pete and some of his, maybe more than his like collegiate highlights and some of the moves that he was pulling out there before he got to the league was pretty fucking impressive. If you've never watched any Pistol Pete, do yourself a favour and dig through the YouTube because that bloke, you know, we talk about how Kyrie might have the best handles, AI might have broke the most ankles. I think Pistol Pete was kind of the, the godfather of the crossover. He was one of the ones that really started to bring tight handles and a bit of that flair to Flash. the NBA. Yeah. yeah. And really make it a bit of a like, Oh, like bring people out of their seats. So there's a couple of other uh, more recent players that I was eyeballing, but I can't ignore pistol. Yeah. And I, I you know, you look back at some of the, the classic players, like I, I'm not going to pick him. So Isaiah Thomas is on almost every mm. list. If you yep. look on the internet, but He's not the, he, he might have had tight handles, but he's, he's not like an elite ball handler. Whereas there's blokes like Rafer Olsen who are, won't get picked, who probably was the best ball handler in NBA history. Like he's a fucking street ball legend. By definition, you know? yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, I think sort of career comes into it a bit. Same with, I feel like Pistol Pete and Magic Johnson fall into the same category. Well, they're great. They're like sort of great transition players. I'm not so so sure if I would rate Pistol Pete as like an elite ball handler. Had some crazy mm. passes and did lots of the, you know, half fake pass behind the back and all this stuff. Um, but so, and another bloke uh, who would sort of be on a lot of lists is Steve Nash. Don't think yeah. he's a particularly good ball handler. So, man. All right. So I'm tossing up. Because it's my last pick, I can talk you through it. I'm tossing up between 
Chris Paul, who is probably my fourth on this list. Yep. And I got Dwayne Wade, who's just like... Oh, I didn't have him on the un- list. Yeah, good call. Unbelievably underrated ball handler because, it, you know, like Steph Curry, he got to places with his handle. Yeah. James Harden snapped mm-hmm. some real ankles. And the, the one that I'm pretty tempted to go is Darren Williams. Oh! Yeah, uh, he is genuinely... In fact, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. Darren Williams. I don't even talk it through. He's one of the best ball handlers of all time. Better than Chris Paul. Had a killer crossover. Could go behind the back. Could pick teams apart. I'm going to go D-Will. Yeah. Same... Jason Williams was the other guy, but I was like, he's not... I don't know if he's a great ball handler. He was... Arguably the same, cut from the same cloth, but they're like his passes were the flashy part, not necessarily yeah. the, the crossover or the yeah. dribble he did to the pass. Oh, where are you going? Talk me through it now. All right, so got minute fifty-seven on the clock. All the blokes that you mentioned were in my uh, ballpark. Uh, they were all honourable mentions. I didn't have Dwayne Wade. I didn't have Deron Williams. I did have Derek Rose down as an honourable mention. Yeah, he's um, and I'm tossing up between Chris Paul and Kemba Walker. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But I Cardiac. think from a legacy standpoint and from a longevity and from uh, yonks of getting to the rack and dishing dimes and crossing blokes up, I'm going to go with Chris Paul. I was okay. probably, okay. I was taught, he was the one I was tossing up with picking before Pistol Pete, but. Oh, yeah, it's still, I still don't love leaving Kemba off the list, but Chris Ball's my final pick. Mm-hmm. Rounds out the Mount Rushmore. Uh, two very interesting lists there. Plenty of uh, uh, shout-outs to the old lineage of basketballers. Have to. And I'll, I'll go for a dig and see if I can find some of the better crossovers uh, to make the highlight reel. That's it. Another one in the um, books. Yeah. How do you feel about your collection? Yeah. Good? No, I feel good about it. Yeah, with Kyrie and Curry. I feel like I got probably the two best ever, arguably. So, yeah. yeah. AI uh, would have something to say about that. Till I die. <laughs> All right. Thanks for sitting down again, J-Lo. Uh, another, another beautiful Wednesday podcast in the books. I reckon we do it again next week. Agree. Hooray. Hooray.